You are never too far gone, never too far off, never irredeemable. There's nowhere that you can go that God's grace can't reach you and change you. That is the story of Jeff Allen. He is a stand-up comedian who became a Christian 27 years ago, and his life before that and since then is an incredible and uplifting testament to God's power and his desire to save the lost sheep. So here today to share his incredible story is Jeff Allen. Jeff, thanks so much for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. Yes. (laughs) Yes. For those who may not know, can you tell us who you are and what you do? Uh, I am uh, Jeff Allen. I am a, a comedian and, um, uh, stand-up comedian. I'm on the tour right now, uh, based on the book. Uh, Are we there yet? Yeah. I just finished the Arlington Music Hall on Saturday. So, okay. Yeah. Awesome. Um, how did you get into comedy? Oh my gosh. Um, well, my brother was a musician, so I was about uh, 16 when I went to a club he was working, and I saw some comedians, and I thought, boy, that'd be neat to be able to do. But how do you do it? You know, mm-hmm. back in 1975, they didn't have a a um, uh, table set up in career day in high school for stand-up mm-hmm. comedians. Right. So anyway, I forgot about it. About six years later, I was working for a jewelry company in Chicago, and somebody said, let's go to this comedy club. And I said, what is that? And they go, uh, comedians get up one after another. And that was it. It was August, and I yeah. think it took me till November to work the courage up. Yeah. And then I was, uh, that's a Thursday, and that was Thanksgiving night, so it was a Thursday night. Um, yeah. And then I went back Sunday for the next open mic night and the MC came over and go, you're going to have to make some sense tonight. We're still trying to figure out what you said Thursday night. It was not good. Oh, um, yeah. not good. <laughs> it was all. not good. Yeah. Okay. How did you, how did you improve? I don't even know how you work on Stage something time. like that. That's okay. it. You know, it's repetition. It's not like, you know, you can produce an album for music in, in a studio, mm-hmm. never once seeing a live audience right uh, but you can't do that in comedy yeah I mean, you have to be in front of people yeah and it's it takes you know milton burl i think said it takes 10 years for a comic to really find his voice and yeah it took me uh really up until you know dry bar hit for the country to catch up with me right. know, it was interesting reading the comments where the, where's this guy been i've been around since 1978 yeah you know gosh i imagine that being a comic especially stand-up comedy, it's got to feel so vulnerable because you just like, you made the comparison to a singer that's in the studio, but even a singer that's on stage, a lot of times they're singing music that's not their own. They didn't write it. They are doing a cover. They're singing music that someone else wrote, but you're writing your own jokes. You're not just performing words. You're writing your own jokes. And humor is something that can be very subjective. So it takes a lot of courage in my book, at least to stand up in front of people and say, I'm funny. And I want you to think so too. <laughs> well, that's, yeah. And it's different audiences have different, you know, it's funny when I started working in the churches, um, I was 40. So I was already 18, 19 years into it. And my entire resume was casinos and nightclubs. So when I I was in Las Vegas working when 9-11 hit and I couldn't get home. And like a lot of people, you know, my family was freaking out and I'm sitting in the desert and I can't get home. And I told my manager the next day, I need to find another place to work. 
uh, you think churches would hire me. He's Jewish. So he says, well, you're, you're asking the wrong guy. Yeah, right. So anyway, we put it out. I did one church in a year, but it was an interesting, um, I'm a storyteller. Mm-hmm. So in the clubs, I learned to just get to the point. You know, I think Shakespeare said brevity is a soul of wit, but you learn in the clubs that if you ask a rhetorical question, some drunk will yell out like you're talking to them. So I quit asking rhetorical questions. I quit making general statements about men and women. I just started talking about my wife. I had a woman stand up in the middle of a show and I, why don't you talk about men the way you talk about women? I go, I'm not talking about women. I'm talking about woman, the one I married. Yeah. You know, and if you married her, you'd talk about her too. So anyway, um, it's a um, process of, uh, yeah, you know, somebody once said, have you ever bombed? I go, you're not a comic till you bomb. You know, it's mm. like you're not a boxer till you get punched in the face. Yeah. You'll decide after you get punched in the face if you want to box. Right. And you'll decide if you want to do comedy after you've humiliated yourself in front of hundreds of people. Yeah. How do you deal with that in the moment? I've always wondered that. I've only gone to a couple comedy shows, and you can tell when the comic says something that he thinks is going to land one way, and it just doesn't. We're still trying to figure out what he said or whatever, and you keep going, you roll with the punches. But in that moment, once you've said something and no one laughed, what do you do? Uh, well, you just move on. And that's yeah. one of the reasons why it's important to be prepared. Yeah. You know. But the funniest thing, I fell in love with my wife because of her laugh and she yeah. laughed at all the jokes that didn't land yeah i'd hear Aww. her in the back of the room you know just like yeah. cackling and yeah. I, I go i gotta meet this one <laughs> yes oh my goodness that's a yeah. really sweet story so tell me a little bit more about that how you met your wife oh she was a waitress at a club and yeah. uh smoker 37 years ago they have the best laughs when you <laughs> when you cannot get oxygen into your lungs yeah that's, yeah that's music Charming. You know, yeah mm-hmm. the gagging gasping wheezing <laughs> yeah <laughs> So anyway, I walked off stage, asked about her. I asked her, the woman in the back, and she came out of the back room. And I've, I've been doing this uh, as part of the new tour. Um, the uh, She came out with a white blouse and leather skirt, you know, and perm. It was the 80s. Yeah. So she had a... And uh, that was it. I mean, I followed her around like a puppy dog my my son said so how'd you meet i said i followed her around till she paid attention she said, oh, he goes you stalked her i go eh, that would be today's term yeah. you know, back in the 80s it wasn't against the law yeah i but, guess it worked out yeah and she had a two-year-old son <clears throat> and uh, we just hung out for the week and i was living in los angeles at the time and, uh and you know it was interesting in my my relationships prior to her i'd meet a waitress spend four or five days with her and then that would be it you know, there were no cell phones, so I, did, I just didn't keep in touch. And um, I got back to L.A., and I thought, you know, well, that's just another one, you know. But then, you know, we, I said, no, she's different. So I kept in touch with her, and uh, we would hook up if I was in the Ohio area, you know, Indianapolis, whatever. And um, anyway, it was uh, April. I flew them out January to Los Angeles, and I played dad for a week with the kid, took him to Disneyland and the beach. And, I had a mattress on a floor uh, and a 13-inch black and white TV. That was my assets and a 68 Volkswagen bug. Yeah. You know, so I've quite the catch. Yeah. And uh, anyway, April, I, I had an idea. I thought I'd ask her to marry me. Um, I had no ring, no plan, nothing, just an impulse thing. And uh got to the airport waiting for the luggage. I said, I love you. I love Aaron. Do you want to get married? She said, pardon me. 
And I said, do you want to get married? Mm-hmm. You and I. So she knew who I was talking yeah. about. And uh, she thought about it, looked at me, and this is a direct quote. She said, I guess, yeah, if that's what you want. <laughs> okay. And that was it. Like I asked her to go to McDonald's for breakfast, you know, if that's what yeah. you want. Yeah. And that was it. We got the luggage and left, you know. And how long were you engaged before you got married? We were not. I mean, I asked her to marry me in April. She got pregnant in May and we got married in July. There you go. And, and I went you- from traveling 50 weeks a year, single with no responsibility to a wife and two kids under the age of three. Yeah, uh, wow. Ryan was born in January the following year. It's a big change. Yeah, and uh, July 5th was the first time when I walked into Alcoholics Anonymous. All right, quick pause to tell you about our first sponsor for the day, and that is Every Life. This is the first and only pro-life diaper company. I know that sounds crazy. Shouldn't all diaper companies be pro-life? Unfortunately not. A lot of those big diaper companies, even the ones that you love with the clean ingredients, are donating to Planned Parenthood or they're paying for their employees to cross state lines to have an abortion. It's just awful. But with Every Life, you don't have to worry about that. These are premium diapers with great ingredients, and they also are pro pro-life, pro-baby. They dedicate some of their profits to pregnancy resource centers, making sure that women are equipped with all the tools that they need to welcome the life that's inside the womb into the world. And they also make it as easy as possible for their own employees to have babies and adopt babies. If you go to everylife.com today, you can use promo code Ally 10 to enjoy a 10% discount on your first order. That's everylife.com, code Ally 10 How many years has it been that y'all have been married now? Uh, 37. 37 years. Okay, yeah. so you've made it. Um, <laughs> tell us about those, about those beginning years. Well, the book is about, the first half of the book is about those seven or eight years. Yeah. Um, I, um, I tell a couple stories that got me into, uh, into recovery. Um, we were living in Boston. We moved to Boston to start our family. And um, uh, I was able to, you know, I, I was a binge drinker. I would go out on the road five or six days and I would drink and party and whatever and then come home dry out. So that's basically the husband I was. I was a dried out drunk. Mm. Uh, but Boston, yeah, I was able to stay in the city and work. In the 80s, Boston was the hottest place in the country for comedy. I mean, you could stay in one building and do five shows on a Saturday. They had three upstairs, three downstairs, and the comics would just go up and down to different houses. So I couldn't stay sober for weeks. So I would start binging at home, and um didn't take long. Uh, Tammy was... <laughs> God gave me, you know, it's funny. I was, I was raised in a home where, you know, conflict was settled with a, you got tossed against the wall and that was the end of con, you know, the, the, whatever the conflict was. So I avoided conflict. And what did Scott Peck say? You cannot have a loving relationship without conflict. There's no such thing as a conflict free, loving relationship mm-hmm. doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. And again, you'll decide if you love each other after the arguments start. So anyway, um, I feel God bless me with a woman who actually enjoys conflict because I would try to avoid it and she would follow me from So anyway, I'd get home at three or four in the morning drunk and then she would push me out of bed at seven in the morning and tell me those boys need a father, get up. And I mean, I resented her for that. I mean, I, I couldn't sleep. I was, you know, uh, I was just a raving lunatic. So one night I, I got 
so drunk. I drove the wrong way on the interstate in Boston at two in the morning. I was wow. going going into traffic. Fortunately, wow. Boston's not very busy at two in the morning on the interstates. Uh, anyway, it took me an hour and a half to get home on a 35-minute drive. Um, you know, that was kind of a, like, holy cow. What a, you know, I wake up and yeah. what, what I've done. Probably less than a week later, I was doing cocaine in front of a nightclub that I just finished. And um, there was a rap on the window, and I look up, and there's a police officer. So he takes me out and cuffs me, and he's putting me in the cruiser. And another officer who was on off-duty was doing security at the club I just finished, came out, saw me, and said, oh, he's one of the comedians, let him go, as if that's a get-out-of-jail-free card. And they did. They took me out of the cruiser, he uncuffed me, and he said, you have no idea how lucky you are. The DA's up for re-election. Uh, and they love white suburban boys right before election time. Yeah. You were looking at three to five. And I had six-month-old son and a three-year-old. And yeah. uh, anyway, I'm driving home thinking, my gosh, you know, you think that would, you know, be enough. Right. Anyway, um, and pr- the, uh, the, the bottom, the absolute bottom, I came home from a party on July 4th, and um, I was sitting in my office trying to figure out why I was so miserable, where all the guilt was coming from, you know. I never had guilt. And I'd been arrested. I'd been bar fights. I mean, yeah. the, but that's part of being a drunk. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I realized it was her and the kids, you know, and this is, I mean, I, I, I have a conscience, you know. And um, anyway, I figured if I can get rid of her, I'll, and the kids, I can just send money and, you know. Mm. You won't feel guilty I made a anymore. mistake. We're not mm. even a year married. Yeah, and I realized I made a huge mistake. Mm. So you thought that if you got rid of your wife and kids, then you wouldn't feel this nagging I wouldn't guilt feel anymore. This. Yeah, I would just. And that's you just wanted to get rid of that, right? At that point, did it occur to you that it was actually the behavior that was making you feel not guilty? at all? You're you're insane. You know they call it insanity. I mean, I was trash. So anyway, I decide if I beat her up, um, who could stay with someone that does that? So I'm standing next to my wife. She's sleeping, and I'm standing there. And again, that voice we have inside of us, we all have, God gave us a, a conscience. I said, this is wrong. I'm, I'm, I'm wrestling with what I'm about to do. And my son started crying, the six-month-old. So I went in and tried to quiet him down and ended up spanking him. Um, Tammy wakes up, takes him from me, and she says, who does this? And she sat in the end of the bed and fed our son. And the shame that washed over me. Mm. I mean, I had felt nothing that deep. That cut me to the core of what I almost did, what I could have done. So anyway, I told her, um, if you don't take me to Alcoholics Anonymous, I won't go. And if I don't go, I don't think we're going to make it. Not even thinking about what that did to her. She already had one child out of wedlock, and now she's got this drunken idiot looking at her going, I don't think I'm going to make it. Like, my gosh, the fear that must have went through her body. Mm-hmm. Holy cow. So anyway, she takes me in, and they tell me to pray. And I said, to what? Um, you know. And that started the journey. That's, you know, the first six chapters of this book is about that seven or eight years mm-hmm. of trying to find some point in meaning to life yeah. apart from myself. Mm-hmm. And I went through it all, New Age, Buddhism, and um, I was trying to figure out how to accumulate wealth. We had filed bankruptcy. We had, uh, I mean, you know. Uh, we were actually literally 10 minutes from the courthouse um, filing divorce papers. Uh, we had them notarized, and 
she changed her mind. But the book begins with the baggage claim proposal in, in the first chapter. And the first chapter ends seven years later. We're in Arizona. I find out she's with another man in California. And um, I call her. I, I ask. Uh, her friend said she was shopping at a mall. So anyway, I call my credit so card. Just, to clarify the timeline. So about a year after you got married is when you went to Alcoholics Anonymous. And that was your road to recovery. You didn't become a Christian then. Oh, gosh, no. You just started realizing, okay, there's something bigger than me. How I've been acting is not okay. And so I know that the details are filled in in your book, but um, what I mean, what did it look like a little bit from that oh, moment to the seven years later when you found out just that your wife was cheating on just you? Just angry, bitter, okay. jaded. So your marriage didn't get better right away. Oh, gosh, no. Okay. You know, and that's one of the things, the illusion that, you know, even the spouse says, well, if he quits drinking, you everything know, will be okay. Oh, the cap came off, man. I was just um, snotty. Um, Did you resent her in some ways for kind of push, like pushing you to sobriety or making you feel guilty? No, about I was being okay drunk? with sobriety. I really knew I didn't want to drink again. Yeah. You know, that was the. You know, I'd go to my sponsors and um, I would I would work the program. I knew I didn't want to drink again, but I, you know, it's it's interesting. I had a lady come up to me about a year and a half into the program. She came up to my navel, yeah, and she goes, "Young man, can I say something to you?" I said, "Please do." And she poked me and she said, "I've been listening to you for well over a year now. Maybe the problems in your life aren't your wife's. Maybe it's you." And I had just enough sobriety not to pound her head into her chest cavity. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. And um, I, it was interesting because I said to, the, to one of the guys, I said, I can't go home. I'm going to argue with her. I'm going to fight with her. I don't want to do this. Yeah. But I'm so. Anyway, he says, pull into a church. And I go, what do you mean? He goes, they're open all day. Just pull in, sit in the pew. I go, why would I do that? They go, I don't know. He goes, I find a sense of calm. So I don't know, I was driving home and I see this church and I just pull in and I walk in and I sit in the pews and I just start sobbing, just sobbing, you know, miserable mess, you know, and uh, that was kind of, I think that lady pointing at, I always say there's seeds, we have, God gives us people in our lives, we are the message, the message carrier for him. Mm-hmm. You know, I look at Wonderful Life, it's one of my favorite movies. I've been watching it since I was in my 20s. And when he prays, he gets, ends up getting punched in the mouth, you know, and he gets sent on this life-saving journey all the way to Clarence and back. But it began with, you know, help me, and then God jacks him in the face, mm-hmm. you know. But sometimes we need a punch in the mouth, you know, yeah. to, to, to get us moving. Yeah. And we're in Arizona. And um, anyway, I, I, I mentioned it because it's, um, it was, for me, I believe this was when the Holy Spirit, um, there, was a, there was a night, I can't, I, the timeline's messed up, but months, maybe a couple months earlier where I was, I was in the yard. I had, I had gotten into an argument with Tammy and I had, I had put a 50 pound heavy bag on my porch so I can punch it when the, when this bile would come up, I would just go out and hit this bag. And, um, Tammy told me years later, you know, when we were living in Nashville, she said, you remember that bag you had? I go, yeah. She goes, every time you went out there to hit that, I thought you were hitting me. Hmm. 
now. Yeah. No, not at all. I said, I just, this, this, I, and men, I, I know this because men come to me all the time. They get it. There's this bile inside of us that something clicks and I'm no longer in the room. I mean, I'm not, I'm yeah. just, it, there's another like out of body. Anger. It is, it is. It's just, I, and it, and it starts with me with shame. Mm-hmm. The shame kicks in and then the cycle has to run its course. Yeah. So if I can avoid the, that, then I'm okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm okay. So anyway, one night I'm hitting the bag and it falls off the hinges and I end up picking it up and I'm throwing it against the cinder block fence and screaming at the heavens. Why? Why? I mean, that's all I'm just screaming. Do you know, at this point, why were, do you know why you were angry or what kind Not of at all. set you it, off it this episode? You know, so you just kind of had these episodes of right. intense anger. And at this point, you were sober. This oh, is, is sober, this yeah. is, um, this is, you said about seven years, seven years after. In, so yeah. you're in Arizona. Arizona at this point. Y'all had stuck it out, even though it had been difficult, right. but you're still trying to deal with these bouts of anger in a way that you probably felt was healthier at the time, right? right. Yeah, I tell people, I, you know, I, I eventually shut down. I mean, if you're, I always say, if you're in a marriage full of acrimony, wait till you get to apathy. God never intended us to be in apathetic relationship, you mm-hmm. know. But that was the only way I could function was to just shut down. Mm-hmm. But eventually, the the cap would come off, and I would just explode. Yeah. So anyway. Um, I, I finished banging the bag and I'm sweating, you know, and I'm walking the house and my kids are standing there and they're little and Tammy's looking at me with her jaw just like, what did I just witness? And she says, get out. And I go, what do you mean? She says, leave. You Go to a hotel. That's where you live anyway. I don't want you here. She was my, scared. Yeah. And my son came over, little Ryan. He was probably five, four puts his arms around my legs. I pick him up. He goes, Daddy, you scare me. I go, I scare myself, son. And something came over me, and I looked at Tammy, and I said, I don't know how I know this, but it'll never happen again. And she said, BS. And I go, no. Have I ever said that to you? She goes, why? What does that matter? I said, my father said it to my mother over and over and over again, and it always happened. My brother, same thing. I never made that promise to you. I don't know how I know this but it's not going to happen again. And I believe in hindsight, as I was writing the book, looking for things, signs, this was when the Holy Spirit came. That was the answer to the, to the frustrating prayer mm-hmm. to the heavens, just shouting out, mm-hmm. I can't do this anymore. Why? Why? Next sponsor for the day is Good Ranchers. They've got an awesome deal going on right now for all of their American meat. You can get $189 of their better than organic chicken absolutely free with your order. We use Good Ranchers every night in our home. We love their ground beef. We love their chicken. We love their steak, all different cuts of steak. They've got seafood. They've got amazing bacon. So order your box of meat. It'll show up at your front door every month. And when you do that right now with my code Allie, you get almost $200 of organic chicken, better than organic chicken, absolutely free. Go to GoodRanchers.com. Use code Allie at checkout. That's GoodRanchers.com, code Allie. So anyway, we get to the point where I find out she's in California with another guy, and I, I call the hotel room. A credit card said it was she was using it at a hotel. She picked up the phone, and, and I said, gotcha. 
And I said, get home. I'm not doing this over the phone. And Allie, I believe in my heart of hearts, had she come home that night, we would not be married today. James compares the human tongue to a rudder on a ship, the very large vessel, small part. But you can't steer that vessel without the rudder. Mm -hmm. And the tongue is small part. And we steer this. We can edify, bless, and praise out of one side, but we can cut, curse, and destroy. And I would have cut, curse, and destroyed that night. I would have tore her up. I was. You take an angry man and give mm -hmm. him the right to be angry, then it's righteous anger. Mm -hmm. And that's when all the damage is done. Right. But as it was, her friend called me and said she won't be home. She's too devastated to fly. She'll be home in the morning. That night alone in my room changed my life. Mm. Every time I'd get righteously angry about what she was in the middle of doing, that little voice would say, remember the time, you know, and I share some of the more painful incidences. Um, we were in an argument in Jersey. I stood on a stool in the kitchen. I screamed at her until she dropped to her knees and sobbed and put my son to bed that night. He goes, daddy, you win. I go, what do you mean I win? He goes, you yell, mommy cries, you win. Not a proud moment. I went downstairs. I told Tammy, I said, I'm going to get help. I am. I'm going to. And I did. I went to a therapist. Mm. And um, I, I just didn't want to be who I was. I didn't know how not to be. So it was just all this information, you know. I just yeah. wanted information. So I read all the books I could get my hands on, all the self-help, all this stuff. And eventually God put me in the path of a Bible-believing Christian. And this is, okay, so... After you found out that your wife was having an affair and the next day she came home and you were. Yeah, I picked her up at the airport. And uh, as you can imagine, I mean, she's shuffling across the, the tear streaks and I'm exhausted. She stops dead in her tracks and she's just bracing herself. And I walked over and I put my arms around her, kissed her on the cheek. She said, that's it. I go, that's all I got left. We're a mess, you and me. If what you want is in California, I'm not going to stand in your way, sweetheart. I'm not. But if you want this marriage to work, you have to take 50% of the blame. I'll take the other 50. If it gets 51-49, that imbalance will destroy us. We'll start calling each other names, and we'll resent each other. So take your half. I'll take my half. And if it's meant to be, we'll, we'll be married. Hmm. And I told her, I said, I love you. I do. I just don't love well. I'm yeah. trying to learn that. Mm -hmm. I am. And then how long after that was it that you came across this Bible-believing Christian? About a year, year and a half. Okay. I came across him relatively soon after that. But he, we left that week. It was interesting. We, we, he kept bringing up the Bible as we would talk. And I'd go, stop it with the Bible. He goes, what's wrong? I'd go, I'm an, I, I don't, probably an agnostic now. But I said, I'm an atheist. I don't believe God, God's word. Come on, a little yeah. archaic. And he says, what's in the Bible you don't think is true? Maybe I can help you out. I go, I don't know. I never actually read the Bible. He goes, then you're not an atheist. You're a moron. You know? <laughs> I said, how so? And he said, look, he goes, it's the most influential book in the history of the world, and you can't even crack it open. That's just lazy and mm. moronic. Mm. He said, crack it open, read it, study it, and then if you come to some conclusion, you know. But it, to just ignore it. And that's really been my mission for the last 25 years is to yeah. get even Christians to open the book. Yeah. I was shocked when I started working churches, how many of them don't even use the Bible as a reference. Yeah. So anyway, we parted company and he asked, he goes, I like you. And believe me, I have no idea why. I really don't. I was a foul mouthed, angry, bitter, jaded, cynical human being. And he was just this beautiful, 
beautiful man. And um, he he said, can I sign you up for some Bible study tapes from our church? And I said, if it doesn't cost me any money, you can sign me up for whatever you want. <laughs> Not kidding. Two or three days after I got home to Arizona, the Bible came in the mail. He sent me a Bible. I threw it in a junk drawer. And then the tapes started coming from the church, never opened one up. And that was about a year, year and a half. Uh, but we, we would talk. We played a lot of golf together. And we had nice conversations, but it always ended the same. He never once said, I sent you tapes, sent you a Bible. All he'd say was, how are you and Tammy doing? I'm going, not too good, Phil. I, I'm going, I just can't stop smashing things. He said, well, we pray for your marriage. I go, why? And he said, because we believe they're ordained from God. And you were put together for a reason. Mm. And um, anyway, time came, Tammy just, got, we were, filing divorce papers, and we turned around and went home. And on the side of the road, I told her, I said, you're out. She goes, what do you mean? I go, we drive 10 more minutes, you're out. You deserve better than me. You know, there's a saying that every man at some point in his life needs to get downwind from himself. You know, I had gotten downwind. I, you know, that night in the bedroom, I mean, I went from how could she be doing what she was doing to what took so long. I wouldn't want to be married to me either. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was just one thing after another. I mean, mm-hmm. it's like... Holy cow, mm-hmm. you're a jerk. And that's a polite word. Mm-hmm. So I told her, you're out. She says, let's go home. I said, we go home. You're in for the long haul. When we met, we got married. We didn't know each other. We didn't know what we were getting into. Mm-hmm. But we've had seven years now, eight years. So you're in. She goes, I'm in. Well, three months later, she says, I'm taking the kids. I'm going to Ohio for the summer. You're draining me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't know what I mean. I can't imagine if a woman knows what it's like to be married to somebody who has no idea the point to what, why we're losing the house. We're losing everything. And she's shaking me. I mean, we're losing. I can't make the money you make. I, I would, I do everything else. She says, but you got to get your head out of your rear end and start working comedy. I mean, I said, but why, what's the point? You know, I've got, I got one of the stories I tell in a book, I got wrapped up in my kid's gerbil. I just sat there watching it one day. Tammy walks by after about 15 minutes or 20. She goes, what's going on with you and the gerbil? <laughs> and I said, look at it. She goes, it's a gerbil. I said, no, but it gets sticks on one side, brings them over the other, stacks them up. And then brings them back over, stacks them up. Every now and then spins a wheel. She says, so what? I go, that's our life. She goes, what do you mean? I go, we go out, you know, I make a few bucks, we buy a few things, they wear out, take them to the landfill. You know, if I'm lucky, I get a sitcom deal, movie deal, I make a lot of money. We just get nicer sticks, nicer things. Vegas, um, Disneyland, those are our wheels to entertain ourselves. And she goes, what are you talking? It's our life. Do you understand that? We just get sticks, they wear out, we take them to the landfill. And I looked at her, I said, if this is my life, because I'm projecting 10, 15, 20 years from now. I'm checking out. She said, you checked out years ago. She goes, I'm looking at you now. You're not even here. Your head is somewhere else. We're losing everything, and you don't care. I go, I don't. She goes, who says that? I said, somebody who doesn't care. I go, Tammy, you don't think I want to care? I mean, honestly, you think I don't want to care? I feel the weight of everything, but I just can't figure out why it matters. Mm. I knew guys that off themselves because they lost sitcom deals. They jumped off of buildings in LA. Mm. She says, what about us? Can that give you? I said, what if you get T-boned at a red light? 
and you're gone. She goes, that's morbid. I go, but it happens. Read, look at the news. Why does anything matter is all I wanted. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I meet this guy, gets the tape. So she leaves, takes the kids, gets these Bible tapes, throws them on the floor. You're going to listen to these things that I'm throwing them on. I'm sick of looking at them. As you imagine, you're a housekeeper, you know, and yeah. manila envelopes everywhere with dust on them. Yeah. Okay, let me tell you about my Patriot Supply. If the economy collapses and things really hit the fan, and of course we don't want to think about that, but we do need to be prepared for that. We got to be prepared for the worst case scenario, and then we want to make sure that we have uh, an emergency food supply kit should things really go south. You want a one-year emergency food kit, and you want to get one kit for every member of your family. That will give you peace of mind. It's so much better to be safe than sorry when it comes to this. And if you use my link, preparewithally.com, you get $700 off. That's huge savings for my audience. Go to preparewithally.com, get your one-year emergency food supply kit, Feel just a sense of security knowing that you've got that in storage. Go to preparewithally.com. So anyway. She uh, wasn't a Christian at this point. No, she, she was just, raised She was raised by Christians who abused her. Okay. And you were raised, your dad did not like Christians, right? No, he told me at uh, 14 there was no God. Okay. And his father was a pastor. And was your dad an angry person? Yes. Okay. So really. that kind of... Probably influenced. Oh, tons. I mean, yeah, like I said, uh, conflict resolution was simple. If I stood up for myself, I got thrown against the wall. That was the end of the conflict. There was no discussion. Yeah. So So you didn't really have a model or an example for how to be married or how to be a dad. Not at all. Not at all. You were just shown anger yourself. So at this point, she just was like, listen to these tapes, not because she believed in God, but because she was like, I'm tired of looking Looking at at these things. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, and, and, so and they you, left, went to Ohio. Right. And you hear the saying all the time, in God's timing. Yeah. So anyway, this was the timing. I'm walking by. I'm alone. I, I have thoroughly convinced she's not coming back. Yeah. And she told me years later that when she got off the plane, her, her mother goes, you're home now. You don't have to go back to him. And she was still seeing that guy occasionally, I mean, uh, on the road. So anyway, um, I'm walking by and then. You know, I end up deciding I'll open up an envelope and see what's in there. And um, it was Ecclesiastes. And my first sermon I ever listened to, I hear meaningless, meaningless, all in life is meaningless. And Mm. (laughs) yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's That's how you felt. Right. And if you go through Ecclesiastes 1 in there, uh, I'm not sure what the number of verse, but it says the eyes never get enough of seeing the ears never get enough of hearing. And then you mm-hmm. look at your video library, your audio library. This was the moment, for whatever reason, God chose to just turn my heart onto his word. And I could not get enough. I, 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 oh my, I was sitting there. And he said, make notes in your Bible. So I remembered. I put the Bible in the junk drawer. And anybody who has a junk drawer knows when something's in, it never comes out. Until yeah. you get a shed. And that's the suburban version of a junk yeah. drawer. So anyway, I open it up. I'm looking for Ecclesia. I couldn't even pronounce Ecclesia, whatever. And, yeah. uh, and anyway, that was it. Um, I listened to a year and a half's worth of Bible study tapes in probably two months. Wow. And uh, a lot of them, two, three times. I had nothing to do. I wasn't working, you know. And uh, anyway, I, went, I came to uh, Arlington to work a club. 
and um, I uh, had my boys with me. I had gone to Ohio to pick the boys up to take them on the road with me. I left Tammy there, and we were in Arlington, Texas, and um, I had gone to, to Denton Bible uh, to meet Tom Nelson, the guy I'd been listening to. And um, when we finished that service, my friend said to me, he goes, when I met you, God put it on my heart, you were looking. Have you found it? And I said, if Jesus is not who he claimed to be, then Solomon was right. Suicide. Because mm-hmm. Solomon's conclusions, you know, Ecclesiastes basically says life without God will have no meaning. Mm-hmm. Without meaning, there's no purpose. Without purpose, suicide. And I re- that resonated with me because yeah, it was like, I had never, I've never been suicidal, but it was like I was getting to the point where what's the point to anything? You know, so anyway, um, <laughs> we went back to his house and he, he says to me, he goes, uh, can you admit you're a sinner? And I said, well, let's not go overboard. <laughs> you know? But I've often said this, when God breaks a man, um, it's clear how broken he is. And uh, when the world breaks him, he just let, they leave him on a trash heap and move on, mm-hmm. mock him, humiliate him and continue to kick him. You know, God breaks you for a reason so he can build you back up. And, um, I got on my knees and I said, uh, whatever this is, it's yours. I'm done. I can't be a husband. I can't be a father. I can't barely get through a comedy show anymore. And uh, the next morning I wake up, I'm in the room. And it's hard to explain outside of that. We've all heard that lightness of being thing. My kids were in the other room. I had gotten up and got a breakfast and I had gone back to bed. And uh, they're watching cartoons or something anyway. And I wake up and I'm sitting on the end of my bed and I go, holy cow. Something. And uh, I went, oh yeah, I gave my life to Jesus. Is that, is that what this feels like? And I'm not, you know, I, I used to hear these stories and roll my eyes, but in my mind's eye, I could see a valley. And I saw these moments in my life And that voice was saying, I was here, I was here, I was here, I was here. I've been just waiting. Just waiting. Mm. And um, it's been an interesting journey for the last 27 years. So that was 27 years ago that you became So we wrote the book. Um, I tell people in the audience, I go, if you can get through the first six chapters of the book without killing yourself, it's an uplifting tale. <laughs> yeah, right. It's, um, I pose, I, I ask five questions that I, I visit monthly in my own life. Um, what do I value? Or no, define, what, what defines me? Because most men will give you a vocation. Mm. And if, you, if your definition of yourself is a vocation, you're a victim to the circumstances of your life. Yeah. Jobs come and go. Right. Um, what do you value? If it's stuff, I don't know. I value integrity. I really do. I, I'm not there yet, you know, but I, when you integrate with what you believe with how you choose to live, so important to me. Um, and then uh, what are your expectations? I constantly tell Tammy, if you would lower your expectations of me, I would meet them and you'd be much happier. But uh, expectations are very important. You know, if you're 67 years old and you want to be an astronaut, you might want to lower those, you know. Uh, what voices do you listen to? You know this. We live in a very noisy culture. 
garbage in, garbage out. So pay attention to what you're pouring in. If it's news, pay attention. We live in a 24-7 news cycle where the paradigm is, if it bleeds, it leads. Mm-hmm. So what could go wrong with that, pumping that into your soul seven days a week? Right. And then where does your hope lie? Mm. If your hope lies in the next election, I pity you. Right. I really do. And um, John Paul Sartre, before he died, realized that his philosophy, existentialism, wasn't working. And uh, said in order for something finite to have meaning, it has to be attached to something infinite and fixed. Mm. And he would never say God, but that sure sounded like God. Last sponsor for the day is Jace Medical. Another way that you can be prepared is to make sure that you have a year-long supply of your prescriptions that you rely on or antibiotics for the most common infections. Should something happen, the supply chains are messed up, you can't get the medications that you need in the traditional way, you need to make sure that you've got all the prescriptions that you and your kids, your spouse rely on on a daily basis, as well as common antibiotics in some sort of stash that you can access easily should you need it. If you go through the confidential telemedicine process with Jace Medical, they can get you these medications, a year-long supply of all of them. Just go to jacemedical.com. When you use my promo code Allie, you'll get a discount on your order. jacemedical.com, code Allie. And how does this inform your comedy? How has that changed over the past 27 years? Oh my gosh. Um, Tammy at times would come out and see me work and leave in tears. You must hate me. Just bitter. And the heart changed. Mm -hmm. That's it. The material's probably the same. I've always focused on my life, you know. But it's just a different heart, Mm -hmm. you know. It was very funny. The first time I worked with Gaither, Bill Gaither, I did my set. And then the next day I'm doing a breakout. And somebody from his organization came over and and said, uh, we really loved what you did last night. And then anybody who's been around knows you're waiting for the butt, (laughs) you know. And they said, but, you know, you really kind of hit your wife hard. And I went, really? I mean, again, my head, I'm going, you have no clue. You know, that was love so they said at some point today could you mention you love your wife in the course of your show and i go sure it's not a problem but they don't know that he goes well you know this is the church not a casino <laughs> i go okay so anyway i do my set and i'm leaving the stage and it dawns on me i never mentioned i love my wife so i turn around while they're applauding i come back and i go i have to say this and then god bless me with this most amazing uh woman patience and, and anyway i start crying i mean it's never happened to me before i walk off and tammy looks at me and goes what in the heck was all that i go i don't know so from that on i just kind of when i work churches i just figured you know i'll take some time and remind them how much i love the woman and and she would always ask did you go jimmy swagger did you go swagger on him did you start crying (laughs) (laughs) um and so this book, is it your first book? Well, second, but really it's my first. Uh, Tammy, we went through um, the last draft. I told Tammy, you need to read this and be okay with my version of yeah. what we went through. So yeah. she read the first two chapters, put it down, came to me and said, we were horrible people. And I said, that's the beauty of the story. Yeah. I said, Jesus 
changed all. I mean, we're not those people. Matter of fact, Andy Andrews, a friend of mine who wrote the foreword, he got it. He told the reader, you're going to meet two couples. Yeah. So don't give up on the second couple. Did she become a Christian when you did? Okay. Well, it was funny because I came home uh, August, um, and um, I, I, I know the date, August 17th, 96. I said, uh, that's when my life was born again. And um, anyway, it uh, took me three weeks. I, st- I was taking the kids to church, but, but to her it was just another one of a long list from Buddhism to New Age, mm-hmm. just one more thing. Mm-hmm. But I told her, I said, I'm a born-again Christian. She says, what does that mean? I go, you know, honestly, I have no clue. Yeah. <laughs> I go, I just heard the term. and uh, She says, what does that mean for us? I go, nothing, Tammy. I said, look, we're still working on us. I said, this is just one more. I said, if it's just one more thing, it'll fade away like all the rest. Mm. Three weeks later, she said, can I come to church with you? And then when we lost the house, to, um, we barely got out before they foreclosed. We were sitting in the escrow office, and the escrow lady said, I got bad news. The IRS has taken all of the profit from your home. Mm. And I said, it doesn't matter. I said, the only thing that matters is sitting at this table here. And Tammy told me a couple years later, she said, um, that was the first time in our entire marriage I felt that we were a priority to you. Mm. Wow. And... um I'm spending the rest of my life trying to make up those first eight years. Yeah. People really underestimate the power and the influence that a dad and a husband can have in the family to lead them to church and to lead them to Christ. It really can make all the difference in the world. And then as a partner, because we pick each other up, I get lazy in my studies. And so this, uh, we, our church just built like three blocks from our house. So we used to, we were driving 30 minutes to church so they're three blocks away. So we decided to start doing small group. And um, that's a growth on her because I don't know what kind of homemaker you are, but every button in her gets tripped when people come to the house. So it's clean, clean, clean. It's, yeah. you know, and uh, I normally mop the hardwood, but mm-hmm. uh, I told her I'm not going to be home to, <laughs> to mop yeah. the hardwood. But um, she's studying now Bible every morning. You know, again, 20 some years later, but you know, it's like we're, uh, we hope to get to the finish line, you know, um, mm-hmm. together. We don't mm-hmm. take it for granted. Um, yeah. We're learning how to pray together. It's interesting. We've had periods where we try to pray together and it, we never had a problem having sex before marriage, but to sit down and get intimate with God is one of the most difficult things. Hmm. We have, but we know that if we pray together, we're going to be together. We know that. Mm-hmm. We know that. That's what the enemy is such a yeah. an attack. Mm-hmm. You know, it's ridiculous. This is you know you know, and it's really hard if you've had a little minor argument, and then you're going to bed to yeah. go. Let's get on the side of our bed and pray. Yeah. But, um, well, it's hard to be angry with the person that you're praying with. Absolutely. And in our yeah. sin, sometimes we want to stay angry and bitter. We want to go to sleep right. angry. Right. But scripture actually tells us be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. But gosh, I mean, certainly in my sinfulness, there are times I just want to hold on to my grudge and resentment, right. well, which yeah. is why what you said is so true. And p- prayer is so powerful to just kind of melt away all that bitterness. 
It is. One, 100%. Um, we've been given a map if we would just pay attention to it. Yeah. You know, and the, and scripture to me, 99% of it just washes over me. But every now and then something will happen and a verse will come to me and go, wow. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember reading the first time uh, from what pleasure do you get out of all those things that you are now ashamed of? And I thought of all those parties I went to that I thought were fun. And, mm-hmm. and I look back and go, it was a waste of time. Yeah. You know? Mm. But I'm having a blast doing comedy. Just a blast. Good. And what advice, before, before we end, and I want you to talk a little bit more about where, you know, you can get your book and how people can find you. But you're talking to a couple, maybe in particular a man who is in the thick of it where you and your wife once were, they're thinking, this is the end of it. It's the end of our marriage. Maybe they're thinking, this is the end of my life. I'm never going to get it together. I'm too far gone. God can't forgive me. Can't make up for what I've done in the past. Whatever it is, they just feel like they're at the end of their rope. What would you tell someone in that position right now? Well, that's the ultimate lie, is that you're irredeemable. That's the, the devil's playbook that you're beyond redemption. That's not true. It takes work. It takes an effort. It takes a desire. And I believe it begins with prayer. Get on your knees and say, look, I can't do this. That's where I really got and totally surrendered. I just said, I can't do this anymore. And then I got a really good whiff of the kind of man I'd been. And I quit blaming everything externally. You know, we tend to match, look for externally what we feel internally. For instance, if you're, you know, an angry, bitter, jaded human being and people keep asking you why you're so angry when you have a beautiful wife, you have, a, you know, the, the job, the home, you're checking the boxes that the world tells you matter. And you're still at this point. So we'll look outside of ourselves to validate it. And politics is a wonderful, I got, I got politics. I just started pointing at groups of people in the political spectrum and going, they're the reason. They're the reason. Why am I so angry? Them. It's them. And that's a lie. That's the lie. Um, you're, you're, you have all you need to be at peace, but it begins with humility, some sense of humility, that you are not in control of everything. You're, you're not God. Mm-hmm. and prayer it's it sounds so simple mm-hmm. but it's so difficult i said the longest journey was from standing to kneeling mm-hmm. for me mm-hmm. i wasn't getting on my knees for nothing yeah and certainly something i made up you know mm-hmm. so uh it's it's not brain surgery you know it really isn't difficult but it is yeah and, and you're, it you're, is yeah. it's really all God's grace. God's grace gives us the ability to go from standing to our knees. He gives us the ability to pray. It's the grace that saves us. It's the grace that sanctifies us. And yes, of course, it requires work and discipline to repent of our sin, but even that is powered by God's grace. Well, Paul talks about it. You know, your old nature doesn't go away. You just bring in a new nature 
you know, and I believe, you know, the Holy Spirit, the, the more I respond to that, the old nature gets deeper, but it's still there, this war. You know, the Romans seven. Why do I keep doing the things right. that I don't want to do? Right. Mm-hmm. It doesn't. You know. So, and the devil isn't going away. I mean, it, it sounds so cliche and trite. I mean, even as a, you know, it's funny. I remember saying to somebody, "I'm not a big devil guy." You know, but then I had some things happen to me that were just, I mean, outside outside of anything but demonic. I mean, I couldn't explain it. I remember Tammy looking at me I'd, and going, "What was that all?" About? I go, "I have no idea, sweetheart. I really don't." I mean, this, it was just, like, again, an out-of-body, whatever. So um, if you look around, and you do, you culturally look around, you don't see a lot of forgiveness and grace in our culture, none, you know. And that's, you can't remain married without the ability to forgive. Mm -hmm. You just can't. Mm -hmm. I mean, there has to be... um, I don't think any of us married saints, you know, and uh, she has forgiven me for plenty, and I've forgiven her for plenty, and um, we're uh, we're gonna hang in there to the end. I hope, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I thank will. you so much for your vulnerability. My little, my little walker. <laughs> yeah. Hey, got to keep going. <laughs> um, and so people can buy your book. Are we there yet? Wherever books are sold. Well, Amazon. You can go to my website and order it. I'll sign it then, but you have to be patient because I, I do the shipping. Okay. So if I'm out of town for two weeks, it's going to take a while. But Okay. Okay. Well, thank you so much. And you're on Instagram and you've got your, you've got a website, correct? Oh, absolutely. Just change, change it. Brand new. JeffAllenComedy.com. Great. And people can find your schedule and everything there. Absolutely. I am out and about. So. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Mm-hmm.